Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is dystopia. Uh, the worldwide coronavirus epidemic has changed the way we live this year. But once this is all over, what kind of world will emerge? Will humanity become better and deal with problems with renewed focus, or is this the beginning of a dystopian future? I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Peter Rosengren, our guest. Delighted to be here as always, Peter, and, and my other unnamed co-host, who you're just about to introduce now. I am indeed, and Ryan Gelliard, <laughs> my co-host, artist, resident geek, and good friend, Ryan Gelliard. Thank you. Thank you, Peter and Peter. Hi, Ryan. And how are you going? And well, I, thank you. I should say, we'll be referring to Ryan as Box occasionally in the show, by reflex, really, because of uh, many years of doing so. So if you hear someone called Box come into the conversation, you'll know it's actually Ryan. That's me. Before we I've get got to, to ask. <laughs> yeah, no, go no, ahead. I've got to ask. I've got to interrupt. What is the origin of the name Box? Oh, uh, look, there's a man who hasn't heard our first show. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I know you told me many years ago, and I can't, I can't remember now, so put it uh, on the table. I want to hear. It's short for my Filipino name, which is Bokyo. Okay. Okay, um, great. So boxes, shortened version, yeah, because I didn't like the name Baza, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, Boko, Box is better than Baza. Yeah, yeah, I think so, I think so. And uh, you can go back to the first episode to get more information about that because there is more. <laughs> okay, before we get started, just a reminder, if you like the show, you should go back and listen to show one and subscribe to the podcast where you won't miss an episode. Okay, what do we mean by dystopia? Um, there is a trope in movies and books of a dystopian future. It gives the the authors a chance to, and the writers a chance to kind of set different circumstances for the characters. Um, what are some of the, I, I can remember Mad Max from way back, but things like Escape from New York, The Hunger Games, uh, one of my absolute favourites of all time is V for Vendetta. What about you guys? Are there any particular dystopian books or movies that you like? It was, uh, that was the Book of Eli. Oh, yes. Uh, Children of Men. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of the most uh, panned ones, I guess, was Waterworld with Kevin Costner. Oh, no, <laughs> that was awful. It was so bad. <laughs> and that was only the beginning of the downhill slide of Kevin Costner's movies. <laughs> it was awful. I remember I, I, they were so hyped. I went and saw that in the cinemas, and it was. I can remember coming out thinking, what did I just watch? Yeah. Yes. Anyway, sorry, Peter. I, I, re I, I remember. Uh, it's funny you, you guys are mentioning movies. I, I think of books. I don't know what mm. that says uh, because I'm <laughs> definitely not an, an intellectual. But I think of uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Ah, uh, yes. Which I, I read when I was a teenager in school, and I thought it was amazing. And um, and then. Uh, because in in uh, Brave New World, one of the things that happens is there are no personal relationships. There, the human beings are produced in vitro in, in, right. in production lines, and then they're um, they're they're given um, different. While they're in vitro, the the uh, um, they're assigned fetuses, roles. Aren't they? the they're assigned roles, and the, the amounts of hormones that they're given in the production process determine things like their intelligence and therefore their class and role in society. And I, I didn't completely understand everything in the novel be, on the first reading, but 
I read it, I was at school, I was a teenager at school in the 70s, and then in the 1980s when we had IVF begin to... Um, Take off, yeah. ...became popular or, or, or began, um, I was amazed at how prescient, like it, it was how prophetic Brave New World by Aldous Huxley yeah, and was. Yeah, everyone denies, oh, that's not where we're going. No, no, we're not doing that until you get, a, you know, everyone gets comfortable with it and then they take the next step. Another yeah. another one of those books, Peter, was 1984, which is- You just took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, it's ironically many years ago now, but he, when he originally wrote it, 1984 was in the impossibly distant future, and yet he was writing about a world where we have lots of um, lots of uh, things have propped up. Like, it's mostly the big brother is watching you comes from that book. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was written, Eric Blair um, was the author, and of course, he's he's- Far more famously known to history is George Orwell. Hmm. Uh, so George Orwell is, was a pseudonym for Eric Blair, and he wrote it in 1948. Right. And he, in order to come up with the title, he just simply reversed the last two digits of the year in which it was written and came up with 1984. So I, I remember in 1984 there was an awful lot of talk because it was already <laughs> it was re- already a major novel from the, the moment of its writing, recognised as being much more than a story. It was recognised as having great importance to modern life and there was a tremendous amount of conversation and articles written about, you know, are we here? Are we heading in that direction? Well, let's, let's take that as our launch point into the next bit, which is um, mm. are we are we in a dystopian future? There have been some comparisons, especially to the 1984 thing, when a, a lady in Victoria posts on Facebook that she doesn't like the shutdown. Now, mm. just for the record, I don't agree with her particular point of view, but she posted on Facebook that she didn't like the shutdown and suggested that people should, you know, rebel against it. Uh, and the police showed up at her door, uh, you know, to to seriously think about charging. I think she was charged, but I can't remember what the outcome was. But basically, mm. you've got almost, a, you know, any evidence of a certain kinds of thought patterns or rebellion, and the, the thought crime of 1984 seems to, to come up. In some parts of the world it's, world, it's even more serious, of course, but... Um, I just have to wonder about this. I mean, some there are some elements of this dystopian future which was predicted in some of these movies and books. I don't think there's any doubt that um, there are serious reasons for uh, looking at our current situation and the future both in Australia and around the world with a certain sense of foreboding. Now, I don't describe myself as a pessimist. I don't believe in pessimism. Um, I would simply say that I'm a realist, but <laughs> that that episode that was funny. You should mention that one. That episode, uh, I, I ended up writing an editorial in in the Catholic Weekly on it. I I was really disturbed by it. I mean, the essence of it, as I see it, is you've got an ordinary suburban mum in her pajamas, standing in her kitchen with three or four young kids right. in the background, under the ages of about. Six or seven, she's put a f- she's put a post on Facebook. Yep, and detectives turn up, <laughs> enter her house, handcuff her, arrest her in front of her children. She's pregnant. She's due to go for an ultrasound in another hour, and she's charged with a crime. Right, unbelievable. 
I agree. I didn't uh, realize I, I it had gone that, that far. That, 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 that is, you know, if you'd said to me, I, I was born and grew up in Victoria before I went to Western Australia, and if you'd said to me Victoria would be a police state one day, I would have looked at you and said, Peter, Box, you're nice guys, but you, you know, you're um, a few cents short of the, the, the full value. But I looked at that and I was horrified. Now, she did something wrong. She was encouraging people to attend a demonstration which would have breached standing orders in relation to association in public places because of the COVID state of affairs. All she did was she posted, she shared something on Facebook. Yep. And and goons showed up at her house to arrest her in front of her children. That is deadly serious. My grandfather was a policeman. My uncle was the assistant commissioner of Victorian police. 50 years ago, if um, if she had done that, if there'd been Facebook, the local the local sergeant from the police station would come round, he'd knock on the door, he'd say, Mrs. Smith, uh, you know, Miss Jones, look, sorry to be here, but we know you've done this. You realise that you could be charged. Just just don't do it, okay? <laughs> Leave it alone. And she would and she would say, Oh, I had no idea. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. And that right. would have been the end of the matter. Instead, you, you have this I, you know, I think it's a lunatic response. It's a, it's an egregious overuse of force. Look, I agree that's a fairly bad thing, but can I perhaps offer a counterpoint on that? And I'm not trying to try and justify the Victorian responses because they've been that's not the that's not an isolated response, unfortunately, and it's not only in Victoria. We've had mm. over the top responses, um, perhaps less dramatic than that over Australia, but we're certainly not in the worst place in the world. I mean, if 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 you attempted of to course. even make any kind of thing like this in China, you'd be in a lot more trouble. If you tried to to do something in other countries around the world, there'd be a lot more trouble. And even, I mean, we're only talking about government responses there. In some cases, if you're not the government and you make you say something unpopular, such as one J.K. Rowling, for example, who isn't you wouldn't say is your your card carrying Catholic um, <laughs> on side yeah, with with those not by a long stretch, no. <laughs> and, and yet she said something um, which is unpopular at the moment, and she and there's been a massive sort of communal kind of pile on shutdown, which is of the same kind of thing. But I don't think these things are related necessarily to the COVID thing. Mm. It's just that COVID seems to have exposed them. Can I say though that the the whole idea that this this disease has changed the world irrevocably? It certainly. In many senses, it's affecting our life right now. But the the advent of a disease which does a lot of damage to society isn't new. We had something like 5,000 years ago, in about 3,000 BC, we've got evidence of a, a plague that went through and wiped out a whole area in, um, I think it was in northeastern China. You've got the plague of Athens in 480 BC. You've got um, the plague of Cyprian in two, 250 to 270 AD. You've got Justinian's plague. Then you've got the Black Death going through Europe, and that killed one-third of Europe. I mean, we're not talking mm. about, you know, the, the tiny percentage we're talking about now. And I'm not playing down COVID, but one-third of Europe is a massive amount. Yeah. Um, you have, yeah. of course, the other plagues, yes. the, the Americas, um, with the advent of um, uh, Westerners coming through, Plague of London. I, I could go on and on, and I won't, but mm. I can but basically, all of these plagues have happened, and they've been even more deadly and more serious than the current ones. And yes, they affected society, and they they had impact on politics. But in the end, humanity continues on, and if you like, they live in the new normal. And so, what I'm I'm asking now in this particular show is, 
What's the difference between having a dystopian future come out of such an event or a new normal, which actually is a positive thing? Archbishop Peter Comensoli published an article in The Age not so long ago um, asking the question, what sort of world do we build coming out of COVID? And he's, he's bemoaning the fact that we haven't been able to meet in churches and synagogues and places of worship, but also just socially in, in cafes. And when we do meet, I don't know if you saw the comic, but there was that, the, if you've um, seen Finding Nemo, there's when all the, the shop fish escape from the dentist and they're all finally escaped into the ocean, but they're still in these bubbles of <laughs> plastic bags. <laughs> it feels like when you go and see your friend, you, you, you're thinking, do I dare shake their hand? You know, do I, mm. there's no human contact still, you know, there's a kind of a, there's still a little weirdness about it. What kind of future comes out of this world? What are we learning? Are we learning anything? Are we just going to go back to doing what we used to do or, or have we learned something positive? What do you think, Ryan? You're looking at me quite intently there. I uh, <laughs> I shared something on Facebook a, a while ago that uh, something I saw online that said the, the spread of COVID is due to two things, the density of the population and the density of the population. <laughs> 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 and uh, I think something I've noticed uh, very much, and I think uh, is highlighted in a lot of these dystopian stories is the the way in which a population might allow fear or certain other things to i guess dictate their actions and reactions and and how they live their lives and i think in this situation i mean i was walking down the street the other day and i coughed and i just remember getting looks from everyone being asian myself uh and uh one woman actually on another day saw me and crossed to the other side of the street um right and and it's an interesting thing when you look at the way at which we view society and how we live in it uh, we as christians of course being uh people of hope i find there to be a conflict you know being people of hope how do we carry out our lives in this situation where it is very much fear and and people will take a small amount, something, something so tiny, and blow it out of proportions and react, right. as we saw with the, the police and um, in all these other cases, you know. Um, right. It seems to be um, that we're all on edge, and so some things are getting out of hand. And and yeah. I, I mean that sort of thing on Facebook. As I said, I didn't agree with the woman's post on Facebook, but to be honest, it was understandable because we're all on edge and we're all fed up with it. We just want to get out and have a norm, what we think of as a normal relationship with people, and have it, you know, enjoy ourselves, um, and feel like we're actually not under this constant threat. Perhaps that's what's changed a little bit that we feel less secure about yeah. things we're less comfortable about the future we're actually a little bit jumpy i think that's true but as you pointed out at the beginning you know uh, of the uh, of the discussion today um this is not the first time it's happened but i think one of the things there are a couple of things that are exacerbating the present situation we are by no means in the worst situation we could be, as you pointed out, the Black Death kill between, well, we don't know, but we think somewhere between, starting in 1342, somewhere between 75 and 200 million people, eventually. Um, COVID is uh, not re even remotely in that league. It's dangerous. It's a, You don't want to dance with this lady at the ball on Saturday night, but 
Um, it's just not in that league. But I think that because of the advance of, um, well, thanks to Edward Jenner, the father of uh, inoculation, thanks to the advance of modern science, um, we have been so well looked after in terms of our physical health. Uh, Jenner realised that um, milkmaids who milked cows uh, were the un- were people who were not succumbing to smallpox when smallpox was killing everyone else, and he drew the he drew the he 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 had the light bulb moment and and that began inoculation. Right. Um, so we're uh, we've been insulated for the most part um, against major health ep- epidemics and we've tended to assume that the health system and science you know will eventually step in and save us all um, but peter that's but not happening not in india point. at the moment we've got the the oh, no, i agree with that you know there's there's serious um growth of the the infections in india uh, i mean they've got one point something billion in the country of course but but the the growth is just out of control, and that's partially mm. because they don't enjoy the same um, health benefits that we have. They don't enjoy the same sort of level of healthcare and also housing. I mean, they don't have the luxury of being shut into a house like we are. Yeah, no, no, but I think that really underscores the the, the theme of this this conversation because um, the, the definition of dystopian is a state of injustice in society where things are dysfunctional. And, I mean, one of the problems is that COVID is obviously ripping through sections of the world who don't have the standard of living that we have. Hmm. Um, and so the, the world has always been, in a sense, dystopian for, for that reason because they've been the wealthy and they've been the poor and the wealthy don't look after the poor. And, and so this is sadly a consequence of that state of affairs and it highlights you know, what you might call the injustice of um, the wealthy nations of the world, which includes Australia, the United States and Europe, living in a standard, living at a standard which is far above the standard of living enjoyed by hundreds of millions of people in other parts of the world. And so they suffer and we're doing relatively okay because we've got governments that can shut down borders and we've got healthcare systems and we've ventilators and all the rest of it. We've also got quite a lot of ocean between us and everyone else and that limits the capacity for people to, to get here. That's true. We've got geographic isolation, which um, uh, is working to our advantage at, at this time. I was reading a recent article um, by somebody who was suggesting that, you know, we, we should put a price tag on elderly. In other words, how much is it worth saving them? At what point, you know, how much money is it worth investing in saving them from these things? Hmm. I mean, after all, they're only going to live a little bit longer kind of thing. This is a very serious, these are very serious questions which are coming up and they're setting precedents in our society. So, for example, if we put a price tag on how much we're prepared to spend to help the elderly now, then what price tag are we going to put on, you know, a different section of the community to me the next time something comes up? I think we look. My basic uh, view is that we have been living in a dystopian society for a long time already, and you can probably date it back to around about 1971 or 72 when we legalised abortion in this country. Uh, but we've come to accept it as normal. I think that you know putting a price tag on the elderly, which is I view as a morally repugnant suggestion mm. is um, a consequence of living in a dystopian society. If you're prepared to take life at its innocent, most innocent beginning, it is only a question of time until you are prepared to take life 
at the opposite end of the spectrum. But I think that one of the things that's going on is we have become so obsessed. And this is a function of capitalism, right. really. Laissez-faire, unrestrained, largely unrestrained laissez-faire capitalism, where the only issue that seems to get debated in political in, in election times uh, are things like economics. And we have a system of finance and uh, economics that operates where everything is valued and budgets drive everything. Yep. And so we've handed up, we've we've created economic pressures that just basically wear down and and add to the disintegration of the family unit, which is I think the fundamental social unit of society. We've we've removed the patterns of support that would normally be in place to support the elderly when they need uh, support as they grow older and and become more enfeebled in their lives. And so we put the elderly in institutions, we lock them away in aged care and nursing homes. Sometimes you need to do that. And then, as we've seen in Great Britain and here in Australia, we have this exceptionally disturbing trend where elderly people in nursing homes are infected with COVID are not even given health care in hospitals. They're sent home to die in the nursing home, hmm. sequestered from the rest of the world. I think it's a form of madness. We are living a dystopian reality at the moment. It's very, very disturbing. You cannot put a budgetary value on a person. Unfortunately, I don't think it's limited to the elderly. We've been treating um, people who've tried to enter Australia for humanitarian reasons the same way for some time. We've been, we've hmm. been looking at people, and it's almost, I mean, even though there are some arguments for a proper and orderly control of borders, we've been mostly debating the issue of immigrants and refugees on the basis of how much it's going to cost us and whether they're going to, you know, cost Precisely. the system. And I know that there have been, because I'm involved in uh, groups online of parents of disabled people, and there have been people refuse citizenship in Australia where there's three or four members of the family who are tax-paying citizens but their whole family's been refused citizenship because they are mm. also caring for a disabled child. And the government yes. simply decided, because you're disabled, you're going to cost us too much, go away. Now, that, it's an absurd thing because when you add up, by the way, the value of the rest of the family added to the, the country, it would have been well and truly over what the highest estimate of any cost would have been. But they just make these arbitrary decisions on the basis of finance. I agree. It extends across all sorts of sectors, including the ones that you're talking about. Hmm. And I mean, Australia is a country that other nations must look at, and I'm certain they do this. You know, countries like uh, China, Indonesia, Malaysia, in our region of the world, and they must think, what on earth do the Australians think they're doing? Who do they think they are? <laughs> look at us. We are five cities on the coastal edges of a vast continent full of natural resources. Right. We could support far greater a far greater population than we do. Demographers have talked about this. Agricultural scientists. It's well, well, it's not well known, but it should be well known. Right. And we say to the, we effectively say to the rest of the world, it's all ours. Yeah, this you is can't our, this have is it. our little beach paradise. We, go away. We, we no, we, we don't want you, or you're a problem, and we don't want you. And it's 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 a kind of a form of national ignorance which is which you know to generalize but it's an isolationism is, isn't it it's centered well it's more than that i think it's centered on our own selfishness as a culture right and that selfishness extends into our politics and so ha that has covid exacerbated that do you think peter in terms of has it added yes. a fear of interaction with others what do you what yes. about you ryan you've got some international 
um, connections that you might throw our way? <laughs> Some experience. What, what do you think? I mean, look, I, I, I was born at the time in, in the Philippines at a time where there was uh, martial law in place. So, you know, there are very different types of this dystopian um, experience. I just think this, this concept of this dystopia has captured our imaginations in so many forms of media we don't seem to have learned from it <laughs> um <laughs> you know we say we read books because it allows us this access to life experience that we wouldn't normally have but what have we learned uh, we explore these different dynamics and we're living in this situation but it perpetuates we don't seem to even in this experience to learn from our mistakes it's interesting you say that Ryan. i have a t-shirt that says um make orwell fiction again which is a reference to 1984 and a kind of a pun on some of the the sillier slogans in the states but make orwell fiction again right so i wear this around and about i would say i reckon about 20 years ago i could have worn that and lots of people would have understood it and had a giggle or had a go at me about it but i uh, I've been stopped twice, maybe, you know, once mm. on a train and, and once in a in a museum in New Zealand of all places um, by somebody who'd read it and went, yeah, I like your shirt sort of thing. The, people just don't even know who Orwell is anymore. And so, Peter, you and I are becoming dinosaurs. We already knew that. But in terms of our literature, <laughs> we're becoming dinosaurs in the sense oh. that fewer and fewer people have, in fact, read these valuable um, contributions. I think that fewer and fewer and fewer people are reading anything other than web pages, and, and without you know pontificating too much, I hope the the whole problem with the internet is everything's up there, and people people are you know I'm amazed at the spread of conspiracy theory, right, um, and so on, and and social media is facilitating this. Have we um, has COVID? I, do you think made that worse? Yeah, I think more people are spending more time on social media at home right. or away from the, the office. But not just more time. Um, are they more receptive to the, the deception? Well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected on this, but I, I think that, I think that um, we're worried about COVID, but we're just you know, hoping that a vaccine will be developed and we don't particularly care how ethically or unethically it's <laughs> going to be developed. Just make um, it all go back and, to normal, please. Go, yeah, make it all I, go back I think to normal. The, I think, you know, you, if you take a walk through a cemetery um, uh, and look at gravestones from about 80 to 100 years ago when the Spanish flu swept through Australia eventually, and you, you'll see a wife... And she's young. She's in her thirties, and because people had large families, you'll see several children from the same family in the same grave. But we've become separated from that. We've become very comfortable, very affluent. You know, our lives are spent on social media and Netflix. And along comes uh, COVID, and we're mugged by reality. We are being carjacked by reality, and. Um, it's a huge shock for us. I like that. Maybe um, we should call this episode "Mugged by Reality." That that'd be much. Better. Well, no, I, I think that's what's going on. We have um, now. You know, I'm not saying, "Oh, well, it's tough. Get used to it. Too bad." I'm not saying that at all. It's serious. COVID is serious. We know that, and it's it. it but I, I think that we we have the problem of affluence. Yeah, we're self-centered. So, so what's th the Catholic response be, then? What's, what, I mean, this is the question we're really coming down to. What's the Catholic response? How do we as individual Catholics, I'm not talking about the church as the administration or whatever, mm. 
but as individual Catholics, how do we respond spiritually? How do we respond in ourselves mentally and externally how we treat others? Um, Box, do you want to, I'll draw you in on this one first. I think uh, as started mentioning this before with the, with the people of hope thing, uh, part of it is lead by example. Um, right. It's so easy. I mean, looking across social media and things like that, there's so many times where Catholics wail against other Catholics or, you know, different right. things like that. And I, I think starting with the very premise of being a people of hope, um, right. allowing that to be the cornerstone of, of the charity that we've got to show and, right. and you know, the, the way that we have to, to live our lives, it's in the slightest things that we can make a difference with other people. I know... Um, the neighbors next door, we, you know, they've sent cakes over to us during this period and we've given them food as well. We, we still allow the kids to have playdates with each other. Um, right. Little things like that, that remind people that the world isn't as bad as the media seems to say it is. Um, right. It doesn't have to be as bad, I should say. Right. There are several things that I think could be said. I agree absolutely with, with Box. Um, the Catholic response, I think we have to pray. This is a serious situation we're in, and and I found during the lockdown, personally, I found myself thinking, I'm not praying enough. I need to pray more. I'm being given time to pray. So I think we need to pray. Absolutely, we need to have hope. Hope is a virtue. Faith, hope, and love are the, the, the three greatest things because it's very one of the real problems at the moment, as you know, is we're seeing increasing signs of things like depression and and because of the isolation yes, uh, which occurs. And this tells us that we are designed to be communal people. We're designed to be in communion with each other. So um, certainly in our own lives, we can reach out. But I, I would say another thing, which is we are seeing very disturbing things beginning to emerge, like the treatment of the elderly, for example. Um, arrests of pregnant women in their own homes. So I would say the Catholic response is um, stand up and advocate. Write a letter, uh, call a radio station, because I think what's going on here is that, you know, I'm not saying that Catholics should go out into the streets and say, everyone, you must join us in praying the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary and Da, 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 da. I don't think that's a, a really a valid response, although if anyone wants to go and do that, I <laughs> wouldn't oppose it. But, but the point is um, we are seeing disturbing things happen and developing, including abuses of power in the name of government, um, amongst other things, abuses of our healthcare system. And the, 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 there are principles which are not religious principles. They're not Catholic principles per se. The sanctity of life, anyone can believe in that. You don't have to be a Catholic. Yep. The common good of society, you know, the one of the cornerstones of Catholic social teaching, yep. but the common good of society, we're seeing these abuses um, um, and the political manoeuvring used to avoid answering direct questions about very serious issues. We're seeing these things happen. One of the real problems of, for the church in this country is that Catholics have largely run away from the public square, the civic forum of – well, the, 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 the open forum of civic and political life in this country. Largely, I think they've done that. Um, they're happy to leave, you know, bishops to make statements. We are the laity. Our job, as Pope Francis has pointed out, is to get – is to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty and participate – Yep. In, in these sorts of debates mm. and issues in society. And the, the Catholic laity, the great 
missing presence in this country. Now, I'm not talking about Catholics agitating to create some sort of Catholic wonderland, a theocracy. No, I'm completely opposed to the idea of a theocracy. But when we see serious things developing, like some of the things we've been talking about today, uh, Catholics and all men and women of goodwill, of faith or no faith at all, should be, should be standing up in the public square of our, of our culture, of our politics, of the life of the city, in the media, and saying, no, this is not acceptable and this is why. Um, and I think that's extremely important. My take on it is some uh, sort of a mix of the two, but I, I guess I'd like to see it. I'm certainly happy with speaking up and especially writing to politicians, making it clear what we hold them accountable for. But in terms of um, practical love when it costs, in, w- friendship has always been an act of love and, fr- and charity and giving people time, especially when they're just lonely and, frankly, a little bit annoying. Mm. This is the, the gift of friendship right now has become all the more valuable because of the fact that people are isolated. The, the gift of yep. your, your attention, your time, listening to people's concerns, and it's going to be same a lot of same stuff coming out of everybody. We're all fed up. We're all uh, lonely. We're all hurt. Um, but listening to a friend has become a much more valuable gift in the last little while. Friendship is a currency which has risen on the on the on the stock market of life, if you like like to put it that way. And I think that look for ways rather than being focused on our own selves and our own problems. Look for ways for your friendship to do good, and and that that gift which has vastly increased in value uh, to do some more good. And on that note, it's probably a good time to. That's the way we can change a dystopian into a utopian in the best possible way within our means. That's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with your podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to the podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au or um, drop us a line at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au or on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord, or all the usual social medias. Make sure you write us a review. And remember that this is an Australian Catholic podcast. That's a unique thing, and we think it's an idea worth getting behind. Tell your friends. Time for a shout-out, Ryan. Well, I want to shout-out to all those people who have really struggled during this period, the people who have struggled with isolation and and really not had anyone. Um, uh, just uh, hang in there. I know it's, it's easy to say and hard to do, uh, but, you know, there are people out there that care and there are different ways in society in which we can still maintain contact and be friends yeah. <laughs> with each other. Sure. Yeah. Peter. I'd like to uh, ask everyone to remember in their prayers the, the repose of the soul of John Fay, a former Premier of New South Wales who passed away recently and whose state funeral was held recently. He was, by all accounts, uh, from everything that I've said, uh, seen and, and read, a real man of faith. Um, it, both in politics, he was the, chance, the Chancellor of Australian Catholic University, faced some tremendously difficult uh, situations personally in his own life, including uh, fighting lung cancer, um, losing a daughter, raising her children. Um, and of course, we pray for everyone who's died recently, but I think he's, he seems to me, from what I can see, to have been a very good example of the sort of fellow the sort of person who could have courage in, in the face of the pro- problems of life and and go ahead. My shout out will go to a similar one to Box, to those friends who've made this bearable and also um, 
to those people who have given me the privilege of being their friend. So that's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life. <music>